Because if you guys remember when we went into lockdown the first time, oh yeah, when people actually did it, right? Do you remember all the reports about how much improvement in air quality, local mm-hmm. air quality, everybody got immediately, like in yep. days, right? Uh, because dolphins just- reappeared in the Venice Canal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Scotch. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 331 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch shenanigans. I'm Seth and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam and I'm watching a waveform. I'm Sam and I'm wondering if that's a prime number? 331? It feels like It's one of those trick ones though, because it's probably probably just by seven or something. Yeah. It's one of those those. sneaky primes. Uh, 11. Uh, Actually, on that note, I can't- Wait, hold on. Let me I'm let me gonna, wrap I'm, my. Aunt. I'm not going to okay. profane. I'm not going to. Okay, do good. It. Um, <laughs> I learned recently that there's there's some trick with multiplying 11s that like that blew my mind. Unfortunately, no, I think I can't remember it off of hand. But it's something really bizarre. Like you can multiply almost any number by 11, and the numbers that you end up with are like just one, two, three, four, five, six, five, four, three, two, one, or something like that. It's like it's like 11 or nine. Or, I can't, but there's some bizarre thing like that. That's really oh, yeah, because it's cool. Uh, as you as you go up up until you hit the double digits, right? Then you, you yeah. just double. Yeah, because it's like you know, like eleven times. Right, I can't remember. Like eleven times eleven is one twenty one, right? Yeah. So what you do is, yeah, it's, it's you go you keep going to this like one two three two one one two three four mm-hmm. three two one. Mm-hmm. It's weird. Have you heard of the? Right, hold on, yeah, my intro. The rest of the intro. Yeah. <laughs> All right, now today is September thirtieth, twenty twenty one. There's going to be profanity on this show. Oh, yeah, you would also like not yet. But now from this point forward, there's going to be a lot of it. Yep. Uh, and also, we'd like to thank our recurring supporters over at moneygrab.bscotch.net. Now, have you guys heard of the 3N plus 1 or 3X plus 1 sequence? No. This is apparently no. something that this is apparently something that is baffling mathematicians forever because it seems so stupid, but nobody can prove it. Okay. <laughs> and the theory is that is that if you take any positive uh, integer, okay? Mm-hmm. And you use the following rules to create a sequence, okay? Mm-hmm. If your number is odd, then you multiply it by three and add one, okay? Three and sure. plus one. Yep. If it's even, you divide it by two. Mm-hmm. If you do this sequence, you will always end up with four, two, one at the end, and then it's done. Oh, so it always terminates and always terminates. It always terminates, always. And it always terminates no at where you four, two, one, no matter where you start. And also it creates an incredibly unpredictable wild thing. Like sometimes you'll, maybe you'll be at like 11 or something and it only goes up to like, you know, 20 something. And then it goes back down to four, two, one. And then, you go to like, then, and then you go like the next number and then it goes like all the way up to like, like it's 1800. Mm-hmm. And then it like plummets back down to four, hmm. two, one eventually. Right. Fucking weird. And it's apparently cool. mathematicians like both, are, they're all fascinated by it, but none of them want to admit it. And they're like, don't spend your career working on this thing because it's a career ender because it's fucked up. The sequence sequence will end you. If legends (laughs) hold true, all you need to do is assign this as a piece of homework in some PhD level class and don't tell people it's impossible. Don't tell people it's impossible. Yeah. Yeah, So people have brute forced it up to the like quintillions and it always – it has always terminated – in four two one, but then they're like, but, the, but we nobody, can't prove. Has, has it been <laughs> proven re- that it's unprovable? Because there are there are some things you can prove are neither provable nor disprovable. As in, like, nobody can prove that it's unprovable, sure. and okay. nobody can prove it either. So far, right. uh, it's pretty cool. But uh, anyways, so we got a 
We've got an interesting episode today. We're going to talk about some – we've answered a lot of questions in the past few episodes. Uh, we just, we've is got all, some stuff. Is a lot the correct qualifier there? I mean, that's we've all we talked did. for a long time about things that's that people true. asked yeah, us. Uh, and we've yep. answered very few questions yeah. about that. <laughs> so, <laughs> at least three. Uh, well, let's not get maybe, – maybe two. I don't know. Um, yeah, so we got a few things to to chat about, just some life stuff uh, today. And then if we get time, then we'll hit some questions. So I want to talk about one of my uh, gaming accomplishments over the past uh, couple of weeks. Okay. So because this is a video game thing, I need to establish some context. So I'll keep it high level. And, you know, just hear, hear me out. Okay. okay. What you All got? Right. Uh, so World of Warcraft has dungeons. It's a five-man group content. Okay. So you go in with three damage dealers, people who kill stuff, a healer who keeps people alive, and a tank who basically tries to get all the monsters to hit them. And the tank is like real tough, right? Mm -hmm. So that the monsters don't go like beat the crap out of your, you know, little wizards and stuff like that. Uh, so uh, in in WoW, they've got this thing called uh, Mythic Plus Dungeons where the dun you can level up the dungeon basically and make it harder and harder and harder, Okay. So the dungeon has a level and there's all kinds of like achievements and stuff that come with doing super, super high level dungeons. Okay. And I've never quite enjoyed doing these dungeons because they felt kind of disproportionately difficult hmm. and not very rewarding for how hard they were. And I normally play as a healer, right? And so uh, I would do them from time to time, but not really, not really push it. Okay. So I, I like the highest I would ever do is like a level 15, just our arbitrary number doesn't mean anything to you, but that's just like the highest level I would do. Um, so there was all these achievements that came out recently to do level 20s, which are dramatically harder than level 15. Cause you know, it's like a, it's like a power compounding yeah. power curve, right? So like if every one is like eight or 10% harder than the last one, you know, then like five levels is like, but things are hitting very hard. You can retire things off have that a lot, income. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Things have a lot more health. Uh, and it's pretty tough. So a few of my buddies and I were like, let's let's try it, you know? And I'm thinking to myself, this is going to be a fucking nightmare <laughs> because they're so hard at level 15. And when we did the 20s, it was super, super easy. Okay. okay. So this kind of came down to, I finally understood that the 15s were hard for the, all the wrong reasons, which was that... Uh, Things in the dungeon would hit very, very hard, right? But just hard enough that people would live if they made a mistake. Mm. So people did not give a shit about making mistakes, and they would just make it my problem as the healer to bring their health back up mm. after they like stood in lava or stood in front of a giant sword that was about to cut their face off, you know. And that not so I'm just like working super hard to keep these people alive because. That's my job, right? Right, because there's a, there's an invisible sort of support role that's quietly cleaning up, or at least supposed to be quietly cleaning up mistakes, but it's being overwhelmed by the sheer amount of mistakes that are being because made. Because people, people don't view it actually as part of their job if they're not a healer to, protect their to own prevent health, right? damage from occurring. Right. Yeah. As a damage right. dealer, they're, they're supposed to do as much damage as they can, full stop. And just assume they're going to get healed in the process. And if that yep. means standing in a big exploding thing on the ground, just so, to, be it. so, the, so you can keep doing damage and so be it. So weirdly, once you get up to like level 18 or 19, those things that previously would take you down to 20% of your health, just one shot you, full stop. Yeah. So 
the damage dealers no longer can make mistakes and they have to now start to understand all the different things that can kill them and then avoid those things. And my healing went down by half all of a sudden, Mm. like the amount of healing that I had to do. And weirdly, I had to learn how to become a damage dealer as a healer because my role then became like, just keep people healthy enough. Instead of getting healed, right? Yeah, so just keep just keep people healthy enough that they won't die to just general damage that's unavoidable, right? Mm-hmm. And instead, in between those times, I have to learn how to do shit tons of damage because all of the things that we're fighting have so much health now. You need extra that it's actually not, yeah, you need that. So so it totally changed everything about the the way that I had to think about playing the game and also it was way way easier and we we one shot almost every single one of them like just mm. straight through so uh, what would you say so, is the sort of the broader lesson that to pull well, out well i think what i think what's weird is that sometimes when you feel like you're doing something easier like or something that should be easier there's a like a mental state that comes into it that makes it harder but for the wrong reasons you know because like the content actually is easier at level 15 numbers wise Right, right. Things don't hit you as hard. Things die faster. You should be able to blow right through it. Right. But strategically, but there's a com- you're basically – There's a complacency right. that comes in that right. actually makes everybody's lives way harder because people just don't care. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think there's actually so, a whole bunch of interesting sort of uh, metaphorical parallels with other mm-hmm. things. Because right? yeah, you, you see this kind of behavior everywhere in life. Yeah. But if you right? think about anything that's metrics driven, right? Because in this case, you're basically saying, oh, it's, it's like – or the way that the game is designed is it says things get harder and because we make the numbers bigger, right? Yep. And In the simplest way possible. Yeah. yeah. And that's but that's just like something like, you know, GDP, right? As like, oh, the economy's doing great because the GDP is bigger, right? Uh, but that's but what does that mean? What is it actually measuring, right? Because if all it's measuring is just how in the case of, you know, doing damage to you, how much damage it does, it's the only thing that it measures, right? Yep. But it's not like as a fraction of your health, so it's not mm-hmm. proportional, mm-hmm. then it doesn't actually mean the same thing. And so if you treat it as if it means the same thing and then act the same way you did previously, because, right, you're just like, oh, it's just harder. I just have to like do do better. Just but that's, do, but that's do the thing but, that I've been doing, yeah, but do it harder. Just do it better, you know? <laughs> uh, and that's your yeah. takeaway instead of, instead of actually realizing that the shape of the thing is actually different now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because the movement of a, of a number was an indicator, not just that, that number had moved, but that the overlying strategy had to be different, right? And this is the problem that yeah. people suffer constantly with any metrics they ever use for anything, whether it's analytics trying to understand the world, whether it's KPIs that people are using in businesses or or whatever, right? Is a metric is always, always a a inaccurate proxy for the thing that it's, you care about. It's right? an opinion too. Well, yeah, because why did you choose that metric and how are you interpreting it and all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. And everybody overinterprets metrics constantly, right? And it's hard. It's just hard not to because oh, if yeah. you actually – like when you look at any metric, if you were to say all of the words required to actually explain what that metric does, it would be like a paragraph long and everybody would be like, oh, so like what can we know from this? And the answer is, well, exactly. Like not very much, right? <laughs> uh, and so it's so easy to just like take a number and say this represents this thing. And then to ch- and then to use that as a guide for your behavior, but without realizing that as the context around that number changes, what it means changes too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so, well, because as, as a as a healer, I always thought I'm a healer, 
right? So my, my job is to is put to out really big healing numbers. Yeah. And, and in the game, you, you can download all kinds of add-ons that show, you know, in real time, little charts and meters that show, you know, how much healing per second you're doing in a given fight. And like, there's just so many ways to kind of, like you said, create metrics and, and parse your data. Mm-hmm. And, and as we started pushing further and further into this harder content, I recognized like my job isn't to do a lot of healing. My job is to make sure that we get through this dungeon under the timer. Mm-hmm. The team's with the job tools, is yeah, to with the tools that win, I have. Right? Right? Yeah. And so yeah. you're part of yeah. a team. And so it's not just about, it's actually, it's basically the same problem we used to have on the art side too. It's like, I used to just, just be pumping out art. And yeah. You said my job drowning. is to produce as much art as possible because yeah. I'm the artist. It's like a damage <laughs> dealer, right? Being like, I'm just here yeah. to punch stuff. And we've had this with our, with our QA staff as well, right? Where they, mm-hmm. they believe that their job is to find bugs, right? Which is a, a it's a, it's a, but a they did. draft of the truth, right? <laughs> but, but they're, so they, so then they felt like if they didn't find bugs during some play session, that that meant they did a bad job of QA, right? But that obviously isn't true if there weren't bugs to be found, right? Because that's not the right that's not what they're actually. Their job isn't to find bugs. Their job it's is to, to assure quality. Is to assure quality. It's, it's to ensure <laughs> that no bugs get through to the downstream customer, right? Which is not the same thing as finding bugs. And so, the only metric that they have access to, though, that's easy, is did I submit bug reports? Right? Yeah. How many? How many tickets did I create? How many did I replicate? Yeah. Et and this is this yeah, whole thing with perverse incentives that we talk about a lot, right? Because like. If you anytime you tie any metric, some like simple idea that's measurable to something you want to have happen, then what people do is they optimize for the metric because that's what you've incentivized, right? And if they start optimizing for the metric, by definition, they are not doing the actual job that needs to get done because that metric is a bad approximation that doesn't change over time to match in so it becomes worse over time, right? In gaming, we call this padding. You're padding, you're padding your numbers, right? So sometimes there'll be a boss fight and a bunch of little like ads, you know, additional like spawns come out that try to try to heal you. And uh, as a player, you can like those those things are gonna get killed kind of just by like random damage that players are doing that flies out, right? Because <laughs> there's like explosions everywhere. Yeah. So you, you don't need to damage, focus on them basically. You don't need to focus on them, but also you could pad by saying, like, my job is to put out big damage numbers. I'm going to explicitly set up my character to do a shitload of damage in a very short amount of time to just those things, mm. like that group of, of trivial things, right? And yeah, you're definitely going to suddenly launch ahead of everybody because you've just hit like 50 targets at a time for a ton of damage. That doesn't mean but you're they the were most gonna, useful person on the team. But they yep. were going to die anyway, right? Um, mm. So yeah we, yeah, we call this padding the meters. Well, there's this you other know? one from, <laughs> from, uh, from art that I realized too – which is something I think about a lot. You know, we talk a lot about how many hotkeys I have and all the macros and stuff that I make um, inside of Clip Studio as I start seeing problems show up. And the biggest thing was the idea that it's more important to not make mistakes to go fast than it is to go fast to go fast. In other words, slow is smooth yep. and smooth is fast is basically the idea, mm-hmm. right? And so when I'm looking at how I'm, I'm doing on the art side now, it's actually not, it's not about output anymore. It's just about uh, are there just sort of routine things that I'm doing where there's a high likelihood that there's sort of either maybe a misselection, a misuse of the tool, uh, the hotkeys are like too close together and so I'm sort of mashing things up, or I'm just like always making the same mistake because 
removing those mistakes, like these damage dealers, right? Not standing in damage. The reality is like you're gonna do more damage over the course of a whole fight if if it's the case if you're not that you're dead. alive. But yeah. even if you don't, even if you don't, if the team wins, then you didn't need to be doing the damage anyways, which means you're just being you're just being inefficient, right? You don't need to over you don't need to be trying to do the most damage if everybody's just dies because you're just well, but, doing your but impor- rainbow thing, right? Well yeah, but but it's also it's it is the team thing in the sense that that if you aren't just getting hit by stuff anymore because you're avoiding those mistakes, then now your healer becomes a damage dealer and because they don't have yeah. to stop and like spam heals on you to keep you healthy. So instead, now the team's damage goes up. Goes up, right? yes. So it's, not, it's yes. not about you now. It's about the team and what the team's goal is, which is to get through this thing in time, yeah, and right, and under that's, the timer, and that's yeah. that core idea here that that trait that moves into like relationships with other people, business teams, you know, it's all this stuff, right? Is is remembering that your own stats don't fucking matter, right? And yeah, what matters is how good of a job you did to assist your whatever your group entity is, your partnership, your uh, business, whatever, to get to the agreed upon goals, right? And yeah. that you did it in the most powerful way possible so that your absence or you haven't done something differently or whatever would have made you get there, you know, less powerfully, right? And then with it, it comes to this this idea of these – because I think, I think this, this is just really good because of the idea of support roles in general. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And not even support, but this like idea of, of things being like cleaned up and fixed, right? So whether that's mm-hmm. somebody fixing code, whether that's somebody tidying a house, whether that's – um, somebody like dealing with uh, minor grammar issues and all of the copy they receive from uh, the somebody who's doing work for them or whatever, right? Anytime that stuff is invisible or is just seen as like, oh, this person's job or this thing's job is just to take care of that so that the upstream entity that's creating those issues doesn't feel their consequence or doesn't know that what they're feeling is the consequence, right? So, because mm-hmm. if they're overwhelming a downstream person with work, the consequence they feel is not, oh no, like I've overwhelmed this person with work because I'm allowing too many errors to go through. They're just feeling, oh, it takes too long for me to get my work back from this person, right? Mm-hmm. They don't yeah. actually see that as like them being the cause. And usually it's not just one thing being the cause, right? But also the downstream person who either as part of their job or downstream entity, robot, whatever, right? Who either as part of its job is supposed to be like, fixing these things and taking care of it um, or just does because otherwise they look bad or create problems. Right. And if that never moves back upstream in any way, then all that happens is that allows worse and worse work from upstream um, over time because things need to like every entity needs to feel the consequences of its mistakes. Well, I think just just this point, the reality is like catastrophic versus graceful failure. Yeah. Right. But go, go ahead, Sam. Yeah. Well, like it, the reality is like your, you, your team, whatever can only function. You can only function at a certain level. Uh, even when you feel like you're giving maximum effort, if sort of tactically you're, you have the wrong approach, if that makes sense. Right. It's like you couldn't get beyond say that like 15 level or whatever on this uh, dungeon side. If you, uh, under that current paradigm, didn't like have, hadn't already like maxed out all the, the numbers based stuff to pad your mm-hmm. body is like because like because everyone's just doing something essentially you're doing it in a harder way yeah you're doing it inefficiently inefficiently basically right but sometimes it's you really can't oftentimes tell that you're doing things inefficiently until you hit a hard cap where basically things switch from being like we'll just kind of fuck you up a little bit when we hit you to being like you're dead now like right there's yeah. like a very clear <laughs> feedback mechanism there that yeah. previously was sort of hidden uh 
yeah. that make it so yeah, the whole text. You usually have to get exposed to a different enough context that all of the mistakes that are being covered up and, and the, the inefficiencies that are being hidden because of the lack of visibility of aspects of the design, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you end up needing a new context that's so different that those things create obvious visible failures. And that's the thing that allows you to, if you're thinking about it carefully, to like realize, oh shit, we need to redesign this. Unfortunately, I think probably what happens most of the time, again, in, in any kind double of down. dynamic context, is you double down, and now the accusations appear of like the person downstream doing. Why can't this job. healer? This healer should yeah. yeah. well, this is, why can't the healer heal better? And also, the, yeah, the healer, the, that's the stereotype. Yeah, yeah, and they're doing it to themselves too, right? Because they're yeah. also being like, oh, I just need to get better. This is my this is my bad that we couldn't do it, right? This is actually why when I stopped. The playing, reality uh, was they were being overwhelmed yeah. by the mistakes. Everybody's mistakes. From <laughs> Honestly, this is why yeah. I stopped playing uh, League because I like playing support characters in uh, yeah. League of Legends and MOBA. And in that one, so the support character always gets bound together with uh, what's supposed to be your carry. So it's kind of the equivalent of like damage dealer, but on a whole, it's like one person who's supposed to be able to murder the entire team by the end of the end of the game, right? Where if they do their job right and you protect them, they just become like sort of a rolling snowball, right, of, of power. But of course. I can't. I can't make people not do stupid shit. So mostly, what I'm doing <laughs> is you have these extremely <laughs> aggressive players. Yeah, extremely aggressive who you're trying to protect, yeah. but you can't because they're just doing, frankly, just dumb stuff. Extremely aggressively. Well, because uh, their whole thing is to behave as if they're gods, right? Like just yeah, they're like I'm Rambo, and I'm like no, 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 like like we are supposed to be Rambo together, you know? Yeah. Uh, and they whenever just I play uh, PvP games, I I like to refer to this strategy as henchmening because mm. you're behaving like a henchman in a Bond movie, where basically like your team right. just kind of like each person runs in one at a time and just kind of gets the shit kicked out of them. Yep. Because nobody wants to wait for the entire team to group up and get together so you can go in, right? Everybody's just like one at a time, just throw themselves into the yeah. enemy pile. <laughs> so I think the, the rough part is like what you see yeah. then at the – because I played ranked in in, uh, in league and got up to like the – I think it's the gold tier, which I think it's like top 10% or something like that. And what you see is like it's – like Adam was saying as far as doubling down, like even at that tier, you're still at the tier where that's still the mode where people are like, I am a uh, carry, so everybody protects me. And I just murder things. And if you can't protect me, like that's your fault. You're not that's able to keep up lost. with how cool I am and how aggressive yep. I am. And it's like, and then what you actually see on like the platinum level of like people who are really, really good is that you have to get rid of that, yep. at least enough of that ego on the carry person. Otherwise the team can't do its job. Right. right. You actually yeah. have to work as a team where Correct. failures are failures at the team level. Right. Not and it's because there's a design problem somewhere in how the how the work is moving through all of the people involved. And so mm-hmm. now the job is not to say like, why is somebody so bad at this? Right. And because the, the real question is, is why have we optimized our strategy and design around what we have, around the tools that we have, right? Mm-hmm. Because you know what? There's no such thing as like an entity just literally I mean, sure, somebody can be terrible at something, like literally, right? But once things like most people are doing the work and like doing doing stuff that they know what they're doing, they got a sense of the context, all that kind of stuff, right? Different people can then accomplish different things at different rates and so on within there. That's all true. But at that point, once the, once somebody can do the thing, it's now the the team has to come together, right? To mm-hmm. design a strategy that works with where that person is at, mm-hmm. right? You can't design a strategy that assumes that person is in a different place, right? That behaves as if that person mm-hmm. is like the best, you know, 0.1% damage dealers in the world or whatever, right? If they're right. not that. 
So right. you can't just say, oh yeah, like your job as the healer, no matter what the context is and how how skilled every single component of our team is, is all if there's no and if there's no just, healing to be done, even yeah, if there's no healing yeah. to be done because just heal, the, heal, yeah, heal, yeah. That's just your job, right? That doesn't make any sense because everybody involved is a is a person who's completely different than any other person. And the point of a team in all contexts is to say, hey, we're just people. Let's figure out where we're all at, right? And well, then it's, it's design to, a strategy to, that works. Toward, to hit our goals that best utilizes where everybody's at, you know? Yeah. But this is even, I mean, now that, okay, I feel like, I feel like we're on the cusp of, a, of something here because uh, when I was, so I was playing Rocket League quite a bit lately, and I saw this video by this Rocket League YouTuber, Waitin' Pil- Pilkin, which I don't think is his name, but that's his YouTube name, mm-hmm. um, called Why Platinum is the Worst Rank mm-hmm. in Rocket League. Is that the so top platinum, rank? Or? Platinum is the exact middle. Okay. The exact mm-hmm. middle rank. That's confusing um, given that it's called Platinum. But. Yeah. Well, it used to be one of the upper ranks where people kept getting better oh, and okay. better. And so they keep adding ranks to the top um, to, to keep it stratified, you know? But, uh, but, his explanation is essentially that platinum players are good enough at the game and they understand most things about the mechanics of the game that they can do some pretty like some pretty impressive mechanical stuff. They're like, basically a really good solo. Right. Right. They can like drive up the wall and like hit the ball off the wall and sometimes maybe like air dribble it into the goal, but only some of the time you're like they're like they're they're, they're not super consistent yeah. um but they're very selfish as players mm-hmm. right they want to score all of the goals and so uh you have these these players who all think that they are the best person on their team and the best mm-hmm. person who's ever played and that only their teammates are holding them back but also they refuse to do anything to take themselves out of the spotlight right mm-hmm. so like they, jamie so, tart in it's uh, jamie tart i was thinking Lassa. exactly the same thing yeah yeah. Yep. So, so it's the, in, in Rocket League, they call it ro- rotating, which is essentially that like you go yep. and you, you go for your hit. And if it, if you don't get your hit, then you got to kind of rotate back onto defense and let one of your teammates come in to offense, right? So that you kind of like have somebody, a couple people forward and one person back, essentially. But if you, if, if, if everybody on your team refuses to go back, then your goal is always open and then you just get mm-hmm. scored on all the time, right? Yep. Yep. And so there's like, there's, there must be some kind of a, of a term for this or whatever where essentially like, People reach a, a certain level of competence at a skill, um, but there's a next tier of competence that actually is no longer about you. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a broader right. it's view about, about solving the solving the broader problem than just your. Or it's not even it's no longer. I think it's that you can get away with making it about you. Right. right. It never was about you up to a certain point. <laughs> it's just yeah. It's just that at a certain point you recognize that it never has been about yeah. you. Yeah. Well, actually, and you get this with uh, so like there's the the trope in in the software world of of a 10x programmer, right? Which is a person worth 10 other people is the idea, right? Because they're so good at writing code. But the reality of how that's experienced by like a company who like has such a person, and they, like there are people in any given discipline who are f- fucking amazing at producing, right? And and who know a lot and who and who can do that kind of stuff, right? But the thing that they do though is they prevent the institution they're a part of from forming durable, long-lasting, really good teams, right? Mm. Because they can because they do all of the work. They just do all of it. And if somebody else is trying to do it and it feels too slow, they do that work too, right? And nobody else is reviewing their work 
And so a lot of it's not that good. These people tend to not believe that tests are important, you know, because lots well, of tests, right? They should, it's all about output. And, uh, and, they, and they know that they're good at it. So like, why waste time, right? Your job is to produce. And the inevitable result of bringing a person like this onto a team, which is why in modern day programming environments, the healthy ones, they actually actively avoid hiring these people. Because mm-hmm. the end consequence is always that they end up with a fuckload of code very fast, right? And a lot of functionality. And then all of a sudden, everybody else starts quitting and <laughs> all these bugs and fires start to appear and nobody can fix it or do anything about it except for that one person who's in that person's working constantly, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're actually just creating more and more fires as time goes and they're on. Too, yeah, and they're too busy they're to fix busy. all the bugs that they have yep. created because they're And they're you know, very producing. possessive of the code because <laughs> they made all of it and they feel like it's theirs. Uh-huh. And, you know, right, so, so you see this everywhere. And, and it's always, always true that in the short term, those, that kind of selfish level of like going for a high skill and, high skill and the truly being high skilled and making it about you, right? In the short term, lots of context can, can work and it can be like appear to be very powerful, but it's always a trap because once you hit the midterm and long term, you're toast now and it's, and you often yep. can't recover from that, right? And, it, and it's the, what sure is shit true is that you can't build a healthy team of people where somebody involved is making it about them. Mm-hmm. It's not possible. Mm-hmm. And if you can't have a healthy team, you can't have a healthy long-term structure, right? It's well, just I think something possible. that's difficult about that though, too, is, is that, cause I, I think about like my own role as a programmer mm-hmm. in our studio, because uh, I have been the, the game programmer, you know, for yeah. forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and we haven't, we haven't scaled up. And so in a weird way, like I've, I feel that I've had to take on that mindset of like, I have to keep moving forward, keep producing, you know, the next game, keep working on the next thing. Um, I think over the years I've, I've learned more about quality code and writing tests for things and creating a lot of ways to, you know, verify that I'm not sending a a trillion bugs downstream like I used to. (laughs) Um, But at the same time, uh, it's, there's a, there's a structural gap there, which is that because there isn't another game programmer that I'm working with, my code doesn't get, uh, doesn't get reviewed in that way. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And so it's far, so it's kind of like the idea of like the damage dealer standing in something, but then they just get healed up and they don't really notice that mm-hmm. a mistake happened. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and this is, this is why pair programming is, is talked about as being such a valuable thing, right? Yep. Because both programmers have to be able to understand the thing that they're both working on, mm-hmm. which means they have to reconcile misunderstandings between the two of them before it gets committed to the code yeah. base. And in the absence of uh, that, there's also just having code review on every single change that goes out, right? Where, mm-hmm. yeah, where nothing gets to go into production until so, at least one other person has looked at it and said, okay, yeah, this try. I understand it. this. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and of course, one of, the, one of the challenges with a very small team uh, having the ability to do that is is a bit tricky, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's kind of like there's also kind of like a no man's land of of team size where mm-hmm. you you recognize the importance of doing all these things, but structurally, it's very difficult to create the systems that you need to to try to make those things happen, you know, Um, other than just saying like through sheer willpower, we're going to try to do as many code reviews as we can, (laughs) which, you know, it doesn't, well, I mean, it it still has to go through discipline and structure, right? And it's always the same kind of a deal. Um, is is some combination of those two and which ones you 
have to rely on more than the other have to do with just everything else about your context. So yeah. So, so in our case, yeah. we can't, we don't have the option of having a structure that is pair programming as an, or at least like really, uh, like constant pair programming versus mm-hmm. periodic. Yeah. Uh, and also code reviews are a problem too, because we're, since we're each side in our own domains, we're all working on stuff. Um, and people are trying to get stuff out, right. To like try things, get into QA or whatever, that adding that layer in the middle of being like, okay, well, somebody has to look at this, right. Means that, somebody else now has to get like taken off of what they're doing in a timely enough fashion to go take a look so that that thing can go through. Um, but, but all these things are manageable by changes in approach and structure, right? Um, mm-hmm. as you, cause like, cause there's things you could do with that where you can have like a separate track that's just for internals that you can keep on pushing changes to it yourself. And then collectively at some point they have to get reviewed before they go into QA's hands, for example, right? There's stuff you can do always. Yeah. Unless you're a team of one, then you're just toast, right? <laughs> but, but, uh, yeah. But, but there, there's, there's always <laughs> stuff. But, yeah, but, it, but there, and there's, and the, I think this is an important point though, which is that whether you're making it about you on purpose, right, or whether mm-hmm. it's about you in practice, because there aren't other people has you to be. have yeah. to consider. Right? <laughs> yeah. uh, the outcome is is basically the same, um, and it's which is that a lot of mistakes don't get caught, and you don't know, and you're not necessarily going the the pace that you could be going. Yeah. Well, and, and I think the biggest thing is it's always that long-term thing, which is, which is you, you, because you're focused on producing and there's not somebody else who you have to answer to in any way, shape or form, then it's so easy to think that the only thing that matters is how much you're producing right now. Right. And anytime that's the case, anytime that's your motivation, anytime that's your approach, you are always creating long-term problems. Always just, just for the past two days, I've been working on, uh, trying to see how hard it would be to get our games working on a new platform, right? So to do that, there's two questions. One is, does our engine support it well? And the other one mm-hmm. is, how do we make our games work on it? Like, what are the differences? You know, what has to happen? Everything that's hard about it, about like doing that so far, just has to do with figuring out where all of the parts of the code are that are responsible for t- for controlling all the, the questions that you're trying to do. <laughs> yeah, of like, what does it mean to be on a platform? Like, and what does it mean for two platforms to be different, practically speaking. Like, what does that mean we have to be considering? What is that? What checks do we need to do? Like, what do we need to enable or disable or whatever, right? That stuff is just like scattershot throughout the whole code base. And that's one of those things that you're looking at, you're like, all of it makes sense. All of it, right? And it's it's old, old code. But it's one of those things where you can just look at it, you're like, okay, this is one of those things where you're looking at the short-term production, which is just like, where you're not at all thinking about, okay, I'll need to add another platform someday, right? Mm -hmm. So how hard is that going to be when I approach it this way? And the answer is very hard, right? But this um, is also where it gets tricky, right? Because you can fall into a different kind of trap, which is the the uh, the one where you so thoroughly over-optimize for uh, some other aspect of whatever the production is. That Say so it's like platforms, for example, right? Because there's so much yeah. like just little stupid shit that goes into every single one of these, right? That you can easily fall into a trap of overemphasizing the importance of that of speeding up that thing when in reality speeding up that thing means slowing down like everything else not necessarily just platforms but like basically that idea right where it's like strategically you also have to be able to understand uh where again like try to try to make a guess or understand where on the meta level as you're producing and what you're trying to ship in this case games where it is that actually most of the speed needs to be even if that produces a bit of slowness in other areas. And so we were talking about well, yeah, game yeah. design. Like it's about the nuance, right? Which is yeah, you move the friction. The problem is places. that people 
they always swing one way or the other. And, and in, a, in an environment where either there's a, there's a selfish 10X or just doing whatever they want, or there's just one person. And in those environments, the thing that you can't help but move on the extreme side of is, is optimizing for now, right? Uh, as in like you're putting all your time is focused on like how do I as quickly as possible like get to the next milestone, the next you know, future set, whatever. And and it is true that you don't want to – there's the idea of premature optimization, right, which we yeah, think of it, code, but it's true for yeah. – it's true for anything, um, mm-hmm. which is if there's a problem that doesn't yet exist, then it doesn't make sense to optimize for it, right? Yes. No. Uh, but if that thing is likely to exist – then you also want to make sure you're not making your life hard for no reason in this likely future, right? Mm-hmm. And so, and that's that's where the but the problem with the with the nuance though, and the reason that the heuristics are what people go with, isn't like either always focus on now always or always focus on the future, right? Is because trying to keep that that aspect in mind while you're doing the work, where now you're constantly evaluating every new decision you make with that as part of the set of questions that you ask, is an incredibly difficult thing to train into yourself. It's extremely difficult. It's a disciplined thing. And like most people can't do it, even like, even if they get really good at it, they can't do it consistently enough for it to always be the case, right? Because no, there are certain things that if you just like thought about work. it. Yeah. Because if you thought about it, like there are a whole bunch of things if you just thought about it for a second, you're like, oh shit, yeah, this will definitely be a problem at some point. Yes. Right. And others where you think about it and, you're, and you can see how it could be a problem, but also if you think about it a little more, you're like, but realistically, it's, it's not likely. Not worry about it so like, you cannot yeah. worry about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's very hard to do that. And that's again where that second, person can come in and mm-hmm. be like, where they're doing the same thing that you're doing. It's just that now if you take two people who are you the fraction of the, the time, yeah, well, it's the, it's the fraction of the time yeah. they realize a thing, right? Mm-hmm. If that's basically the same for the two people, but now that two people look at it, you're just now twice as likely to mm-hmm. like, to hit a more reasonable way of evaluating whether or not this thing is optimizing for the right thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, lessons from video games. It's very, mm-hmm. very important. All right, now, Sam, did you want to talk about Squid Game? I just want to say I've been watching it. I think it's, it's a show. Everyone's, on everyone's talking about it. It's on Netflix. It's a show. It is extremely bloody and violent. So uh, if that's not your thing, it's a bit – it's very dark. So wear it's a poncho, I guess, when you – Yeah, get ready for the splash. A lot of stabbing. <laughs> a lot of very vicious stabbings. So just kind of prepare yourself for that. Um, uh-huh. I think like 200 people die, just get shot in the first episode and – Long story short, it's sort of like a uh, they collected a bunch of people who have so much debt that they basically couldn't possibly pay it off, more or less. And then they more, I think they it starts out by basically they kidnap them and then put them into these. It's like a Hunger Games sort of situation. Yeah, I was gonna say, yeah, it's Hunger Games. Yeah. Uh, Hunger Games. <laughs> um, uh, and then there's, but it, so that's like this, the high level premise. But if you win, then of course you win like this huge pot of money that would actually pay for whoever the person, like pay for probably all the debts, right? And so everybody wants to win. But also, there's just a lot of murder. Like you, literally, if you lose a game, you die. Um, and so it's, but it's all it's all these children's games from childhood that are then taken into this like extreme form. The first one being red light, green light, where basically if you if you know it's where the person's like red light, and then everyone has to stop, and then you say green light, and people run to try to get across a line of some sort. So if you are caught moving after they say red light, then you get shot and die, which is how like the first half of everybody does. I'll spoil the first episode for you just to see if you want to even bother. <laughs> Very violent. Uh, so legally really speaking, though, like I'm assuming this is in a universe where bankruptcy doesn't exist as a concept. But also, 
if that's true, all these people who are being murdered in this game, will, will their debt just pass on to their beneficiaries? It seems to be a combination of <laughs> – so they said they did clear that up at one point about how that would work. But also uh, it's it's not just like regular debts. It's oftentimes like debts you're owed to, you know, like a street gang or something. Who will just kill? Like, there's no, there's oh. no bankruptcy provisions. You're going to die either way. Could, yeah, basically that, that. Yeah. So that one of the episodes is is the most interesting is sort of like uh, uh, comparing their lives in the games to outside the games. And the point, of, the basic point of the question in the in the basic premise of the show is like, is essentially where which one is the real hell in terms of you know. Uh, how this is probably the one where you're gonna be, gonna get murdered immediately. Oh yeah, no, I think is, I'm pretty well, firm. Or maybe both. Too, they can, you know, it's not mutually exclusive. They could <laughs> yeah, both they suck, could both be yeah. <laughs> in different ways. So, anyways, uh, I've been enjoying it, but it's very intense. So, if you're not, sounds into pretty like, dark. It's extremely dark. If you're not into that sort of shit, uh, do not participate. Uh, yeah, uh, and then, yeah, I am curious. Like, I, yeah, I keep on seeing it pop up, and now, now with your explanation of it too, like, it's it's hard to. To, to create a, like a, a meaningful and nuanced um, higher level sort of like like this idea of like which one's the real hell right when when you take the when you take the thing to this extreme exactly yes the, the question is is like can you can you do anything <laughs> besides just create this like you know this, spectacle this murder spectacle basically yeah. Right? Yeah. and does the rest like once you start to try to add more to it does it just like start to fall flat you know and become mm-hmm. absurd. I think in order to make a lot of these points with me, it's kind of like animation, right? It's like if you just animate something like rotoscope, which is simply tracing a person's body movements, it doesn't look very good. They don't hardly look like yeah. they're moving right, um, even though you're literally sort of copying it, you know, frame by frame. It just looks stiff and uh, kind of whatever. And so you always have to sort of hy- turn it into a hyperbole of whatever it actually is in order for it to read correctly mm-hmm. and have the spirit of the thing in it. I think but if you go too thing. far, though, you know. Then. Well, now you're in cartoon land, right? Yeah, now you're in cartoons. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But this, that's, that's why it's fun. That's why I'm. I'm yeah, it's always about finding that balance, right? Like, and and that is true because because like, like this is also you know like people say this a lot about sci-fi, right? Where what sci-fi does, oh, and sci-fi and fantasy, um, is that they create a parallel world that like is reminiscent of ours, but it's different enough that when you are one of the people causing the kinds of problems that the the story describes, right? Because mm. these books are always about like basically humanity's failings. But it's easier for you to not see yourself in it so that you can now it's just different enough. So so that you don't even realize actually this is a commentary about the world that you live in and that you believe in and support, right? Until it's already too late because you've like enjoyed or read the thing. And then at some point it clicks because you're like, oh shit. Which is, you know, depending on the kind of person, like, does this actually do anything useful? I don't know. But but that's the idea there is that you can take stuff that, that you could tell people all day, mm-hmm. you know, like talk about climate change, talk about vegetarianism, talk about poverty, they can talk about anything, right? And you can just like, you can just tell people all day that the way they're approaching the thing is fucked up and horrible, right? And they'll fight you tooth and nail, mm-hmm. right? No matter how Avatar. obvious it is, right? Yeah. And then, and then like <laughs> this alternate reality that like shows, that shows you what it would be like if we took that thing that is clearly true, like the thing that's happening and just took it to its logical end, right? Or take a more extreme form of it to like get there faster or to exaggerate it, right? So that you can actually see like what is at the, at the root of this thing, right? Yeah, I mean, I think well, with, they, you know, just this point about the video game stuff from earlier, it's kind of the same thing, which is like a lot of things yeah. when you're not in, operating in the extremes, you can't quite see the contours of what's 
like the major There's a conjure. feedback problem. Yeah. I mean, and actually something that, so speaking of climate change stuff and, and catastrophic failures. So there's that like a 1.3 degrees Celsius warming sort of critical uh, point that's mm-hmm. coming up, right? Like, oh, like 10, 15 years from now or whatever. It's like somewhere in that range, we're basically fucked, right? Mm-hmm. And we're just, we're just on a, we're just barreling towards this, this thing. No breaks. Um, but when people talk about climate change and like your own personal impact on it, uh, nobody really understands what that means for themselves. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause it's like, okay, like what if I, you know, drive a bit less, what's the, like, what is for starters, what's my current impact on this? And like, what would that make my impact be? Right. So there's this, uh, this website that I, that I went to, it's called Ren, W-R-E-N. And they have a bunch of questions that you can answer about just like your lifestyle, right? Um, like rough, like rough geographic area. How much do you drive? You know, stuff like that. Um, and then they have uh, a carbon footprint estimate mm. on there, right? And the thing that got me was, so for starters, it's like, yeah, you're below average for uh, American households. Like below, like my household is below average, which I was like, great, I'm, I'm proud. I'm so good. And then it said, if everyone in the world had your carbon footprint, we would hit 1.3 degrees Celsius warming in three years, right? Mm-hmm. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> uh, because because there's, a, there's like an inbuilt sort of carbon footprint to living in Western society that's very hard to work your way down from, even if it's just like – uh, just commuting to work. So or, we've or, talked about like it's I mean, structurally. It's just like the the difference that you as an individual make on the carbon footprint by doing these things is 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 low. Like it's not most. A lot of this stuff is. It's not that it's not worth doing, but a lot of this stuff is so structural and so big because it's happening with a bunch of specific like entities or industries or whatever else on a massive scale. That it makes it like I, I, I just I, it's hard to find com- a compelling reason as an individual, right, to do something uh, to change until you put it into some of these terms where it's like if every like you feel good about being a better American, right? But like, but really, it turns out we're all real, real bad. <laughs> yeah. So being being better than the average is still catastrophic, actually. Yes. Um, well, but, it, but it's, it's, I think that but the thing that that's to consider though when it comes to because because like global warming. Um, yeah, like your impact on that and your ability to shape that with your individual daily actions, not very big, right? But importantly, what are those daily actions and what other consequences do they have, right? Because if you guys remember when we went into lockdown the first time, oh yeah, when people actually did it, right? Do you remember all the reports about how much improvement in air quality, local mm-hmm. air quality, everybody got immediately, like in yep. days, right? Uh, because dolphins just, reappeared in the Venice Canal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like everything improved dramatically. I mean, and that, and that was like an extreme form of this, but it still is true that if we, if we, if people are knocking down their, a lot of these different behaviors they have, it's not just global warming. I think this, this goes back to the whole KPI thing, right? If you're like, mm. Mm, I need to do, I need to do better to help with global warming. And then you now look at global warming and you're like, well, fuck, I can't actually meaningfully impact that. Right. That's that part is true as an individual, which so that's why we require collective action. We all have to do it, right? But all of the things that go to global warming also have local consequences that are bad. Mm. The more you drive, the more animals get killed on the road, right? Uh, the more, more people, and the more people get killed, and, on the road. <laughs> and, the, and then the, and the more polluted that your your air locally 
becomes, right? The more stuff you buy, the more trash that you just literally walk out and put out, like it's going into your local landfill, right? The things that you don't do, like if you don't, you know, cut your little, uh, like slit your bags open and cut your rings on things or whatever, like the more like raccoons and things are going to get stuck in that shit in the landfill and just like starve to death, right? So there's like, that's the local consequences of, of these actions. And I think, I think that that's actually one of the, the problems of how all of this shit is framed. It's always like, oh, well, like fix global warming by offsetting your carbon footprint, right? And, and then that's you, part and then you of look, it. and then you, but then you look around you at everybody who just doesn't give a fuck, right? And they would gladly burn the earth into cinders to make money, right? Well, and, not only, not even that. I mean, you've got people, I'm sure you've seen this, this thing that people do called rolling coal. Yes. Where they right. they outfit uh-huh. their their truck or their car with just really fucked up things that emit horrible toxic smoke, yeah, and they and it's just like pure pitch black smoke, yeah, uh, and they do it for the sole purpose of trying to piss off environmentalists. So they yeah. just drive Isn't around that, just purposely pumping. Yeah. So out. they have emissions tests, right? How do you do that? Yeah, it depends on the state you're in, because some states you can kind of just do whatever you want. Uh, yeah, but also it's but also they have it set up where it's, it's like a thing that they it's a thing that they can turn on to just like blast a bunch of toxic smoke around, right? Yeah. Um, yeah so, but yeah, so you yeah. look around and you see this, right? Because and, and like and it's just the sheer absurdity and idiocy of of people's take on like global warming and being like it's either it's not happening or who cares, you know, those vibes, and the fact that they they are the reason why we just can't fix this on the collective set right now, right? Um, but that doesn't mean that your individual actions aren't worth doing, even if they have literally no impact on global warming because because they do on the local spheres because they do actually have local impacts. And some of them you can just see, you know, like literally every time I have like rings from something from like, you know, cans of soda or whatever, uh, when, when I look at it, I've like in my brain, I'm imagining an animal getting its head stuck in it. <laughs> right. And so, cause that happens, I mean, that happens, right. Mm-hmm. Like it happens constantly. And, uh, and like, or like a, a plastic bag that's like easy to get into. I'm imagining something walking in and just dying because it can't figure out how to get back out. And I just like slid all those bags open, you know, uh, and then just try to produce less trash because that's less stuff that is going to like, cause we have like, we, we hear stories of like the St. Louis about the, the landfill here, like having an, it's had like an underground fire for 10 years or something. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Some crazy shit. And uh, they can't put it out cause it's, it's some enormous underground smoldering thing. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and it's like, being constantly fed with yeah, new fumes right? and, yeah, and every, every time I throw another bag of trash out, like it's okay. I'm just adding to this underground fire. Right. And like literally just adding right to it. Um, and so, so I do think there are, there are plenty of ways to create personal incentives for all these kinds of actions. Like same thing with like eating less meat, all this kind of stuff. Right. Cause like, yeah, one of the impacts is, is reduction in, in greenhouse gases and, and whatever. Right. But your own impact on that is basically zero. But what you did actually do, if you if you eat if you stop eating chicken for a while, for example, right? There are literally now numbers of chickens that like living beings that you didn't eat, right? Like countable. Well, or, beings, or right? importantly, because like because the thing is, you know, far, farm chickens don't contribute to the the natural ecosystem, right? Yeah. So like by reducing your demand for consuming chickens, mm-hmm. right? Then, then that number fewer chickens need to be raised. Well, yeah, right. For, and again, that's, that's, you, that's right? the collective impact, right? Is that part? Yeah. But that, that again, you as individual, you barely get to impact that, right? But what you do impact, though, is is that there are now literal, you know, beings that didn't die, not very many, relative to like the sheer number, right? 
but there it kind are. of is though, right? It kind of is. I mean, if you, especially, so if I know you're, it is. Yeah, if you're I, in yeah. the U.S., like you're, it's you're a talking surprising number, hundreds of animals a year. Right? <laughs> like, if you stop horrifying. eating meat, that yeah, that now don't have to die just so you could have a tasty snack, you know? Because yeah. uh, you've got options. You're yeah. just you're choosing to yeah. And I think and to me, this is to like, kill those. This is, kind of, this is kind of the bummer to me of like the the fact of of the requirement for collective action to work is that you can't have you have, people have to do it and you can't have people actively opposing it. Uh, who are, who are with their numbers or with the access to the things, the tools they have to oppose it, can just block all of your progress, right? Um, and the kind of collective thing that hits us all with is like, oh, well, I guess it just doesn't matter what we do, because, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and because so much of the focus is on that stuff, uh, it's a KPI problem again, right? It's like you, like you can't really, me- you can't meaningfully optimize your carbon footprint, but also who cares about your carbon footprint? Because like it doesn't. That's not a thing that matters as you for individual action. Yeah, right? your personal it only matters for collective action. Yeah, is is but an all infinitesimally things, small percent yeah, of the. But literally, all of the things that go into your carbon footprint have immediate, direct, local to you, as well as to your local com- community consequences. Right. So, if you focus on all of those things, the consequence for collective action is it's a little closer, reduction it's a little of global warming. Yeah, yeah, and. Uh, and yeah, it's, I don't know. I think that this, this whole problem, like collective versus individual action thing, which we're all suffering from constantly with all these anti-vaxxers and all these global warming denialists and all this stuff, right? Uh, is that they create this state of paralysis that, so that even the collective group of people who are doing the right thing, that it doesn't matter, right? But it still matters though, like, cause people are so ag- aggravated, all the anti-vaxxers who are making it so we can't get full herd immunity to, to COVID, right? Yeah. And that's, and that's awful. And those people are awful for doing that. But that doesn't mean that you not getting the vaccine is a reasonable. You thing personally, to do, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, you personally getting or not getting the vaccine is not prolonging or stopping the pandemic. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and and I think like this is this is like the societal version of like we're all running a plus fifteen dungeon camp right now, <laughs> yeah. right? And like it's really fucking can't hard. To, can't beat this. Yeah. One. Like you know, everything that we're doing is hard for all the wrong reasons. Because N- nothing that's currently happening has to be this way. Nothing has to be this way, but we're all just standing in the fire. We're all taking damage, making mm-hmm. all the making all of the all of our mistakes somebody else's problem, yep. right? And like at a certain point, it's we're going to be in a twenty, right? Like <laughs> yeah, we're, that's our right. dungeon, yeah. our difficulty is leveling up, and the mistakes that we're making right now are quickly going to you know wipe the group. <laughs> <laughs> Bet you didn't think we could loop that metaphor all the way back, but uh, that's like, that's an episode long <laughs> well, metaphor. Here we right are. That's we a did good it. Place. We did want to wrap up on. I think. I think we'll cap it there. Uh, good chat today, yeah, guys. So long story yeah, short, yeah. still take individual action and still it's push not a, for collective action. Weirdly, let the failures of collective you. action prevent you from taking individual action because it still matters. Maybe not in the yes. way that you are, are like imagining all the worst case scenarios and like the collective consequences of the collective inaction, right? But it still matters locally. Still matters to you, right? Yeah, it matters, matters a lot. To people around you it matters a lot. Do the right thing. Mm-hmm. All right, that's all the time we have for this week. We would like to thank our producers, Fat Bard and Jen Coster, for putting the podcast together, and thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. To get more involved in the Butterscotch community, just go to podcast.bscotch.net, where we have links to the Discord, a way for you to donate, and links to the podcast archives. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye.